Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Brucott to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. Well, the Buffs did that thing again on Saturday. They won another game. In a hastily arranged game due to USC not being able to field an offensive line, the Buffs squared off against San Diego State. The CU defense was dominant throughout, with Colorado emerging with a 20-10 victory. With this episode, Brad and I will be taking a look back at the win over the Aztecs and review the other Pac-12 Thanksgiving weekend results before moving on to our tips for Colorado at Arizona. As always, my written tips for the game, and again, the tips stand for T for talent, I for intangibles, P for preparation or scheduling issues, and S for statistics, has been posted on the CU at the Game website. In addition to checking out the website, which is updated multiple times daily, Please remember to subscribe to this podcast wherever you download your podcasts. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other fine sites. And, oh, by the way, don't forget to leave us a review. The Buffs are 3-0 on the 2020 season, one of only six teams in the Power Five conferences to carry an unblemished record into December. Will the Buffs make it 4-0? Let's find out. Okay, I am now going to open the discussion with one Brad Geiger in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. How is Brad doing today? Oh, Brad is doing pretty well. The buffs are 3-0. and The weather has been nice. The turkey was well cooked for Thanksgiving. Everything's going all right. Very good. <laughs> Happy and healthy, which is about all we can expect. Getting out and not of, always guaranteed in 2020. Exactly. So one month of 2020 to go, and at least so far, the 2020 football season, uh, at least in terms of what's t- transpired on the field of play, has gone well for Colorado with a 20 to 10 win over San Diego State last weekend. Well, so reading the message boards, are you one of the glass half full 
that uh, the Buff defense held San Diego State to 155 yards of total offense, and Nate Landman was not. Let's see, we get all the the awards right. So he's Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week for the second time, the Walter Camp National Defensive Player of the Week, and also made the cut as a semifinalist for the Butkus Award. So the half full is on the defensive side of the ball. The half empty. The Colorado offense only generated 272 yards of offense, struggled at times, and of course was responsible for the only San Diego State touchdown. So are we excited that we are defeating San Diego State 20 to 10, or are we concerned that we only beat San Diego State 20 to 10? I think we should be moderately excited. You know, it looked like a game played by two teams who got two days notice that they were going to be playing each other. It was clearly offensively a, well, it was a game plan overall that was designed to win a game 20 to 10, or hopefully more like 20 to seven or 20 to three, where the offense played very conservatively, understood that San Diego state had probably as good a defense as you would face in the PAC 12 that took what it was given. And with the exception of course of, the one egregious error that had us all screaming at the television immediately before halftime did what it needed to do, dominated the time of possession, kept the ball, and put us in a position to win a game relatively easily. So, you know, I can understand those who wanted a blowout, but this was a workmanlike win on short notice, and I don't understand how you complain a lot about that. Well, I think... Any Colorado fan in the last 15 years has a hard time complaining about any win against anybody, any time. You know, we'll take any victory we can get. And I don't think that San Diego State is a team that you look down on. Um, this is a team that had beaten a Pac-12 team four straight years. Last year, when we went to play UCLA in the Rose Bowl, we lost, got smoked 31-14. to Whereas San Diego State went to the Rose Bowl in Pasadena and beat UCLA last year. So, you know, a team that has a top 10 defense last year and a top 10 defense this year, the people that were expecting us to score 35, 40 points, I think it was probably misguided. And yes, there were opportunities. And yes, there were some conservative play calling the anti-Darren Cherini crowd went back into full voice, even though the Buffs won the game. But I will never dismiss an ugly win. I will take every ugly win that Colorado can get. And the fact that CU had 11 opportunities in the last three years to get to bowl eligibility and went 0-11, and the first time they had a chance to become bowl eligible – under Carl Durrell, they went out and won the game, I think speaks a lot positively about the potential future for the Colorado program. The defense showed everything that we hoped they would do. Now, of course, they were against a team that had lost its starting quarterback and lost its starting running back. But, I mean, it was exactly what we expected. The defensive line held their ground, stopped the running game prevented the off the San Diego State offensive line from getting to the second level and allowing Landman uh, and Carson to uh, Carson Wells to run at the muck yes. <laughs> um, and you know terrify the San 
Diego quarterback, which is the blueprint we had hoped for and which I think we will probably see going forward. Well, we can certainly hope so that, you know, because of the quarterback situation in San Diego State, there really wasn't much of a threat of them throwing deep on us and using our weakest link, the secondary against us. They did try it, you know, strangely enough, at the beginning of the game, they were trying to throw deep and abandon that pretty quickly because I think they realized their quarterback was not capable of completing anything deep, and they went back to their run game, and that fed right into the teeth of the, the Colorado defense. So it was nice to see Colorado's points allowed average go from 37 to 28 in one week, and even that was with the seven points given up by the Colorado offense. So a really good game by the Colorado defense. We'll see if they can maintain that. It seems to be perhaps – Maybe this is a fate type of thing for Colorado having a good season this year. But remember against Stanford, we were going up against a quarterback that had been denied the right to play against Oregon the week before had less than a week of practice before they played us and Davis Mills. Then this week, whether it was the quarterback being benched because of poor play or some injury that we didn't know about, they started the second string and went to the third string quarterback. And now, and we'll get to this more when we talk about the upcoming game, Arizona has troubles and issues at the quarterback position. So if Colorado is destined to have opponents with quarterback issues for the 2020 season, and that helps lead to victories, then we will certainly take it. I just believe that, uh, like I say, a win is a win is a win, and ugly wins count, and ugly babies get taken home from the hospital just like all the other ones. So... We'll take it and we'll we'll move on and be grateful to be three and zero when most prognosticators would not have had Colorado winning their first three games, whether they're playing Mountain West teams or not. All completely true. You know, the bottom line is there is no reason to believe that we can't be in the next two games. There's nothing we've seen from this football team that makes you think that the wheels are wiggling or are ready to come off. Doesn't mean we'll win them, but it feels like there's more talent here than we thought. It certainly feels like the coaching is calmer and better than we feared. There's certainly every reason to root for the next few weeks. Yeah, well, certainly lots of optimism going forward playing against an 0-3 team that we're going to talk about. But before we talk about Arizona, I want to talk about the other Pac-12 games of last weekend of Thanksgiving weekend. First on Friday, you had two very close games. Oregon State upsetting Oregon 41-38 on a last-minute touchdown. Stanford defeating California 24-23 on a last-minute touchdown and a blocked extra. Well, Cal got the extra the touchdown in the last minute, but then had the extra point blocked. And then Saturday, you had Washington spotting Utah 21 to nothing halftime lead and coming back to win 24-21. And then the game that had interest for Colorado fans, Arizona, with a backup quarterback, started out 7 to nothing against UCLA and then was outscored 27-3 the rest of the way, falling 27-10. Of the games from last weekend, what stood out to you in terms of uh, – the Pac-12 and the status of the Pac-12. Well, of course, you know, Oregon's loss, um, along with SC not getting to play, um, 
everybody comments that that essentially ends any hope of the Pac-12 being in the in the college football championship. Um, I guess if Washington blows out Oregon and then blows out whoever wins the South, somebody might in some hypothetical world think that they were worth it, but it's not going to happen. So that Oregon loss um, overall made it clear that the Pac-12 is not going to be playing with all of the big boys this year. It was a strange game uh, with a strange ending. Uh, and one can argue that the Pac-12 officials have not covered themselves with any level of glory this year. Um, but that was, of course, the most interesting one. Um, Stanford and Cal was an error-filled affair from the start and got no better. Um, so, you know, those were the close ones. Um Obviously, we're always interested in how Utah does, but again, that's a team that looks like it's offensively struggling. Yeah, it uh, was a surprise because it was going on largely, at least initially, when Colorado was still playing its game. So to see Utah go out to a 21 to nothing halftime lead and then be able to watch the second half and watch Utah play poorly uh, was certainly an interesting change of pace for Washington to come all the way back. I don't, maybe I'm in the minority, but I'm not super upset about the Oregon losing and the Pac-12 not being part of the college football playoff discussion, because I don't think realistically the Pac-12 was a part of the Pac, the college football playoff discussion anyway, with Oregon starting off being ranked 15th in the initial rankings. They had, yeah, they were behind two two lost teams in the Big Twelve and Iowa State and Oklahoma. You know, it it just wasn't going to happen anyway, and that was probably destined not to happen even before the season started. With the seven game season it was a a long shot to begin with. So the fact that Oregon State beat Oregon and ended Colorado or ended the Pac twelve being part of the national discussion as far as the college football playoff. Yeah, it hurts in terms of national coverage and that's it, but that that was going to happen anyway. So not a huge loss there in my world. Um, Utah losing, I don't know, it's interesting to look at the standings of the Pac-12 South that you have three teams that haven't won a game yet. You've got Utah that's 0-2, Arizona State that's still sitting there at 0-1 and has been since game one. And now, of course, Arizona is 0-3. UCLA has come back from the dead pretty much since they played Colorado um, and are going to get some love because they'd rather talk about Chip Kelly than anything that Colorado does, but they're back to two and two with the other loss being a close loss to Oregon. So the Arizona game, uh, Demetric Felton went off for 208 yards against Arizona. Arizona is just uh, not looking good at this point. So, I don't know, before we transitioned into our tips, our preparations for this weekend's games, it just seems like the Pac-12 is not super top-heavy, that there are not great teams at the top of the Pac-12, and the fact that Colorado is one of, what are we down to, 13 teams nationwide, and I think six in the Power Five conferences that are undefeated, we're one of six teams that have yet to lose a game, and three of those are in the Pac-12, Washington, USC, and Colorado. 
Of course, the other five teams that are undefeated, including Ohio State that has all of four wins, four games played, and is in the college football playoff, uh, of the six teams, only one of them is not ranked. And, you know, give you three guesses, and the first two don't count as to which one of those is, which one of those teams is not, you know, nationally ranked. Although CBS Sports and their website, which had Colorado ranked over 100, I think it was 104th the weekend before the season started, or at least the Pac 12 season started three weeks ago, four weeks ago, since we had the cancellation weekend. Um, now has Colorado at number 23. So somebody at CBS actually started noticing that, you know, the University of Colorado is undefeated. Um, but before we start talking about the Pac-12 or going forward with the Pac-12 and the Arizona game, did you notice that another bowl game that has Pac-12 ties was canceled? Uh, this time it was the Sun Bowl. So we are la- rapidly losing Pac-12 bowl affiliates, tie-ins, and now we're looking at the perhaps distinct possibility that Colorado could finish with four wins, even five wins, and still not be invited to a bowl. Can that happen to this team? Is that is there justice in the world if Colorado doesn't get to go bowling, even though they're bowl eligible? There is no justice in 2020. Um, you know, there has been bowl games rely at least in large part on getting people to go. That's not going to happen. Uh, well, I think we're clearly seeing now that, um, the effort of putting it on all of the surrounding hoopla that brings money to the locales, to the locations. If that's not going to happen, bowls aren't going to happen. So, uh, we're going to see a decimation of the bowls. Um, and it will be very fascinating to see, to me, to see if anyone but champions gets to go to very many bowls. Yeah. Um, just a rundown um, for those that aren't familiar, the Pac-12 hierarchy of bowls. There's the New York Six bowls, um, which you know theoretically could be the one of the national semifinals. But in all likelihood, we're only talking about the Pac-12 champion going to the Fiesta Bowl since the Rose Bowl is a semifinal game this year. The number two pick is the Alamo Bowl, which, as you recall, in 2016, the last bowl game Colorado played in was because they went to the Pac-12 championship and lost. And so we're, I won't say relegated, but got to go to the Alamo Bowl. The number three bowl is the Holiday Bowl. That's already been canceled. Number four in the pecking order is Las Vegas Bowl, which hasn't been officially canceled, but the Las Vegas Bowl website doesn't seem to have much interest in talking about the game being played. So... It hasn't been officially canceled, but it might be on the brink. Number five in the pecking order is the Red Box Bowl and, you know, the Bay Area, and that's already been canceled. Now the Sun Bowl in El Paso, that's number six. That's been canceled. The Independence Bowl is still alive. Of course, if anyone wants to go to Shreveport, but since nobody's going to bowl games anyway, I guess we might as well play in Shreveport. Um, that would be against Army. That's already locked in. And... The number eight bowl is the L.A. Bowl, and of course, since that's in L.A., there is a chance that that bowl game might not be played. So we might be down to, instead of eight bowl 
affiliations down to three or four. And if you get down to USC and Oregon and Washington and maybe Utah coming back or UCLA already has two wins and Colorado doesn't have the cachet that Colorado might be one of the four or five best teams in the conference and still might not get to play in a bowl. Um, hopefully that won't work out that way. Hopefully the Buffs keep winning. And towards that end, let's talk a little bit about this week's opponent. Uh, we're playing the Arizona Wildcats on the road. Right now it's scheduled for 5 o'clock Mountain Time on FS1. But that could change because they just imposed a curfew in Tucson of 8 p.m. So unless they get a waiver, um, they're going to have to move the kickoff time. So stay tuned for that. Colorado is listed as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. So before we talk about specific players and specific you know, units on the Wildcat side of the ball, what was your impression when you saw that Colorado was a three-and-a-half-point favorite over Arizona? Um, well, one, we're favored on the road. Um, I don't know the last time that happened, but I would suspect favored on the road against a Pac-12 opponent has not been something that we have had a great deal of. Um, I live in Colorado now. I'm allowed to bet. I've already got my money on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it is, it is understating it given what we will soon discuss about the issues in Arizona. Um, obviously, it's always tough to go on the road. It's a weird time, but that uh, seems a bit low to me. I I was a little bit surprised because of, yeah, not because of the lack of faith in Colorado, but you would think at this point there would be a lack of faith in Arizona that getting blown out by Washington on the road. I mean, it was 44-27 final, but it was 37 to nothing at one point, and then giving up... 27, you know, the outscored 27 to 3 by UCLA after taking a brief 7 to nothing lead. Yes, they did play well against USC, and that was their only other home game. So I guess you could pin your hopes on the idea that the other two games were road games and they play much better at home. But I think that's kind of grasping at straws if you're an Arizona fan at this point. I guess the only thing I could say about the the spread is just look at what Las Vegas has thought about Colorado the first three games that CU was a touchdown underdog to UCLA in the opener at home and one by six was a touchdown underdog to Stanford on the road. Actually, it went up to like nine and a half once it was announced that Davis Mills was going to play a quarterback for Stanford. And of course, Colorado won that game by three. And this past week, um, Colorado was like a three and a half point favorite over San Diego State and won by 10. So if Colorado's ability to beat the spread holds, then we might be looking at another, you know, 10 point, 12 point Colorado win. So if, if Vegas says that's the way to get Colorado win by double digits, then let's go ahead and make us three and a half point favorites. So looking at the personnel for the Arizona Wildcats, um, one thing to note, I checked, I double-checked, and I triple-checked. Khalil Taylor is not on the roster for the Arizona Wildcats. He was drafted. Well, he wasn't drafted. He was 
undrafted free agent signed with the Philadelphia Eagles and was cut before uh, the end of, well, even before fall camp started, he was cut in July. He was going to transition to be a wide receiver, but I'm pretty sure that he has used up his eligibility. So without having to face Khalil Tate, what is of interest to you either on the offensive or defensive side of the ball for the Arizona Wildcats? Well, you know, the number one issue, is, of course, is that they are lacking for um, just bodies. Um, as of this morning, um, it appears that the status of their starting quarterback is at least questionable with a shoulder injury. Their backup is a freshman who did not play with any show of, of brilliance last week. Um, and then a secondary that had already been giving up a lot of yards had not one, not two, but three players decide to quit the game um, Monday after that, which is both not exactly an expression of confidence in the team and drops them down to a very thin secondary. So this is a depleted squad, a potentially deeply depleted, depleted squad. Um, and so you may have the benefit of facing yet another freshman quarterback. Um, but one we will have some film on from last week's game. So it does feel like Arizona is struggling at this point. Yeah, I, I think without question, just reading up on them over the weekend and getting ready for this. That um, And if you didn't watch or read up on the UCLA game, uh, the quarterback, Grant Gunnell, who actually started half the games last year, um, would have been nice maybe if he'd started against Colorado so Khalil Tate wouldn't have thrown for 400 yards against the bus. But, no, not that I'm bitter or anything, but he did start six games last year. It was the, you know, heir apparent. He played the first – he started the first two games and was in for the very first play from scrimmage against UCLA and was taken down with a shoulder injury. Kevin Sumlin in his press conference on Monday was – understandably coy about his status. Didn't say, he said, of course he wanted to play, but they had to look at his long-term best interest. And, you know, if you look at the fact that they have three more games and none of them count on his eligibility, maybe shutting him down for the year is best for his health. Uh, we'll see. Maybe they think that he's going to be fine and they just want to see you to prepare for the freshman who's Will Plummer was the freshman that came in and played all with that one play against UCLA. He went 17 for 34, but for only 151 yards with two interceptions. He did run the ball 11, 11 times for 56 yards, so that's one thing that the CU defense will have to pay attention to. We have been susceptible to mobile quarterbacks, and you know, not that this guy is you know, a Khalil Tate, but... <laughs> He's not going to go off for 300 and some yards, but we do have to keep an eye on him if he does play. But, yeah, to CU's benefit, the fact that he did play 59 minutes of the UCLA game, like you say, gives us some tape. Um, they do have some good wide receivers. Um, the name to watch or name to listen for is Stanley Berryhill. He leads the team with 18 catches, 193 yards, three touchdowns. Um, the running the ball, Gary Brightwell, is as best as they've got right now. He's got 224 yards in three games. Not 
anything that really scares you, to be perfectly honest, about the Arizona offense, that they don't have the game breakers either in the running back positions or at the wide receiver level. And as you mentioned, the defense is just, well, you know, bad. Um, you talk about the San Diego State defense and maybe their numbers are inflated because they play in the Mountain West, but, you know, they were top 10 nationally last year, top 10 nationally this year. You add about 90 numbers to Arizona State to get to, or Arizona to get to Arizona's numbers. 107th in total defense, 100th in scoring defense. So quite the contrast. And as mentioned, you know, Demetri Felton went for, you know, the same Demetri Felton that 57 yards against Colorado's defense went for 206 against Arizona. So if you're Jarek Broussard thinking that, oh, okay, I tied Charlie Davis for, you know, 300-yard games to start a career – I have a pretty good chance of making that four. Um, but as you mentioned, he might not get the ball because Sam Neuer is going to want to throw the ball and redeem himself for what he was, you know, himself called a less than stellar game against San Diego State because of all the defections that have come out of the, the secondary at Arizona. And a very uncomfortable Kevin Sumlin kind of deflected the opt-out questions in his press conference saying, well, they opt out, they opt back in, you know, they say they're opting out on social media and then they suit up on Saturday. It's it's just not, not pretty. Um, Arizona overall has lost 10 straight games dating back to last year. Any guesses as to the last time they won a game? Was Khalil Tate against CU involved? <laughs> yes. So, yes, so the, the last time that... Arizona walked off the field to play a, a victor was in Boulder last October. So you don't want to say that Arizona has Colorado's number, but the fact is, is that CU's been five and seven the last three seasons. And the fact is CU's lost to Arizona the last three seasons. So if it hadn't been for Khalil Tate, if it hadn't been for losing Arizona, we might still have Mike McIntyre as the head coach at the University of Colorado. So if anything that, you know, the players on the Arizona roster might have going for them, at least mentally trying to prepare for this game is, well, you know, the seniors are like, well, we beat these guys every year. This is not news to new to, new to us. We know how to beat Colorado. What way to, what better way to end a losing streak than to, take it out on the team that, you know, we know how to beat. Yeah, there is, of course, that. And there, the thing is this. This is a new coaching staff. And as we have commented before, um, Carl Varel doesn't seem all that interested in what happened in the past. <laughs> he didn't seem all that interested in beating UCLA. He didn't seem all that interested in history against anyone. He seems interested in preparing a team and getting them going. Um, he is not the most fiery person. His team doesn't play fired up, but they don't make the mistakes that have beaten us in the past against Arizona. Um, the defense feels consistent. I'm quite sure Nate Landman would like to hit an Arizona quarterback <laughs> once or thrice. But... <laughs> 
Um, I'm just not convinced in 2020 that history matters all that much. Yeah, very well said. Well, before we get to our predictions for the game, let me run down the other Pac-12 games. And as we are taping, nothing's been canceled. But as we know, that guarantees absolutely nothing. So which games going forward? We got Stanford at Washington. Washington's about 11-point favorite. Oregon's on the road against Cal, about a 10-point favorite. Utah's at home against Oregon State, about a 10-point favorite. And Arizona State, remember them, you know, from a month ago, uh, might get their second game of the season. They're hosting UCLA and about a four-point favorite. And then the USC-Washington State game, which was originally slated to be a Friday night game, has now been moved to Sunday night in order to get some more players cleared. And USC is about a two-touchdown favorite, about a 13-point pick. Any of those games have any special meaning or interest to you? We only play one of those teams in the future. So I'm going to be paying attention to Oregon State, Utah. Um, You know, Washington State, USC, I guess I want to see how good USC is. Um, The rest of them, it's really hard to get all that interested in, isn't it? Uh, It doesn't feel like Cal can play with Oregon, no. uh, or that Stanford can play with Washington. Not particularly. The way I watched a good chunk of the Stanford-Cal game, and yeah, it was it was two zero and two teams, and yes, it was a rivalry game, and yes, they were intense, but it was not a particularly well played game, and us, you know, giving Washington the benefit of the doubt for their twenty one to nothing half time deficit against Utah. I would suspect that that's not going to be much of a game, and I don't think that Oregon's going to let up once they get ahead of Cal. They've got some, you know, wounds that they need to uh, bind up, and they're going to take their pain, you know, their frustrations out on Cal. Uh, UCLA Arizona State's interesting to me just to see, you know, Arizona State was a ranked team before they gave up two touchdowns in the last minute against USC. It would have been interesting to see what would have happened to them in the rankings if they'd beaten USC and they had every reason to believe that they were going to with four minutes left to play uh, before USC got a touchdown, an onside kick, and another touchdown to beat them um, in the Coliseum. If they were like 20th or maybe moved up to 18th or something like that and then just sat there for the next month with a 1-0 record, what the pollsters would have done with Arizona State and like I say, UCLA has now become sort of a media darling now that Chip Kelly apparently knows how to win games and play well. So um, I'm interested in the UCLA-Arizona State game. But, yeah, once we get done with our game, um, you know, if it starts at 5 o'clock, ends about 8.30, then that's when the kickoff is for Oregon State-Utah, Pac-12 after dark. We will know whether or not Colorado is 4-0 and at that point. And, yes, it will be interesting to see what happens with that game. And I don't know. Um, Got a bunch of heavy favorites and not a whole lot of excitement in those games. But I think Oregon State's 
closer than 10 points to Utah. I don't know why. Maybe the people that in Vegas only watched the first half of the Washington game went to bed when it was 21 to nothing Utah and made their spread based upon that, you know, that, that score. But Oregon State has been playing well this year, and I wouldn't be surprised if they beat Utah. Um, but our interest of, of course, right now um, is Colorado at Arizona. What would be your prediction for for the score and the outcome of the Buffs against the Wildcats on Saturday? Um, these were the teams that were picked the bottom of the South, perhaps the bottom of the conference. One is playing like it and one is not. Um, the bottom line is every indication is that CU is both the better coached and the more talented team in this. And although they're on the road, I'm going to stay with them. 27-20. Okay. So <laughs> closer. Well, you know, that's that's heartening in the fact that, uh, you know, we're not quite as together as we have been the last couple of weeks. You've been frighteningly close on our predictions. Um, just looking at where Arizona is, because we've been there. And we've had teams like that, that, yes, the players are going to try. I'm not ever going to say that a player is not giving 100% in effort or not trying or doesn't care. That it wouldn't, I refuse to post any comments on the website that say that there's something about the player's attitude or the player's willingness or trying. That being said... Losing begets losing, and it wears on a team, and it wears on players. And if they get down, they tend to stay down, and we've observed the other end of that. So 10 straight losses, starting to wonder whether or not the Sumlin era is coming to a close, even in a shortened season. There are going to be some firings. I don't know if Arizona can afford with the losses of revenue and the contracts that they have and the problems that they have potentially with the basketball program, if they can afford to buy out, you know, someone's contract, but that's something for the people in Tucson to worry about. But on paper here, this is just one of those games where it's hard to see where Arizona is going to score a lot of points and it's hard to see how they're going to stop CU's rushing attack. And if the rushing attack's working, then, of course, the passing game starts to click. So I have it as 31 to 14. This is probably as optimistic as I've been about a CU game. I was, I'm more optimistic about this game than I was about the San Diego State game, which I don't know if that says something. It's, we're playing a Mountain West team at home. We're playing a Pac-12 team on the road. But... San Diego State had at least one side of the ball as a strength. You know, the defense we knew was very, very good. And once you have a good defense, you keep the score low, you have a chance. And that's exactly what happened, you know, that the defense gave San Diego State all the way until probably the five-minute mark of the fourth quarter when they missed the field goal and it stayed a two-score game. It wasn't until then that you really felt, okay, we, we got this. Um, so I don't know if Arizona State's defense can do that. Now, 
CU can certainly go out and lay an egg and turn the ball over four times and have a special teams touchdown or another pick six or, you know, anything can happen. That's why you play the games. But I don't know, at least uh, until the ball's kicked off. And I'm, of course, nervous when the ball gets kicked off and the game starts. This seems like a, a, a season where Colorado and its coaching staff and this group of players will find a way to, to win the game. And I think that they will not let Arizona come back into the game late like they have against you know UCLA and Stanford, that they will find a way to pull away, you know, rather than have it be a, a backdoor close, you know, you know, type of a situation. So uh, we both pick Colorado and just seems to be a lot more than three and a half points. Any, any closing words before we um, put a lid on this particular podcast? No, this is a, uh, well, of course I have closing words. Uh, <laughs> this is a team that's fun to root for. It's a team that has players that you can be excited about um, for a year that has been what 2020 has been. This has been a highlight and we all need that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so Buff Nation, enjoy. Don't sweat the small stuff. Enjoy the fact that your team is 3-0. and And hopefully when we talk next week, we'll be talking about a 4-0 team. So until next time, Bradford, take care and be well. Be safe and go Buffs. Thank you, as always, for being a part of the See What the Game podcast. As a reminder, the See What the Game website has up-to-the-minute information about your buffs, about the Pac-12, and whether any games are being canceled. The schedule has been very fluid this fall, and more cancellations are always a possibility. Toward that end, the CU men's basketball program has paused operations due to the number of players on the team being tested positive. The December 2nd game against Arizona has already been postponed. With the status of the next game, CU's home opener against Washington State on Saturday, December 5th, still to be determined as of the time of this taping. While we can't give you up-to-the-minute news on the podcast, up-to-the-minute information is always available on the CU at the Game website. So I hope you're making checking in with CU at the Game a part of your daily routine. Here's hoping that the football team will be able to play and take the field against Arizona on Saturday and again at home again next Friday against Utah. From there, who knows what game or games will be available for your buffs. So until next time, be well, stay safe, and go buffs. Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. 
Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.